Welcome to Bliss Beyond Fear. Your hosts, Des, a transformational life coach, and Gina Marie, a personal development mentor, are here to help you have confidence, embrace your worth, and find your joy. Des and Gina Marie are fierce friends and lifestyle entrepreneurs that will encourage you to have faith, elevate your mindset, and take action so you can achieve the results you desire. They believe that an abundant life is sustained by overcoming your fears through creating a circle that elevates you and rises with you. Your blissful journey begins now. Oh, welcome to the Bliss Beyond Fear podcast. We've anticipated this day because we have a guest who I may have to admit that I'm obsessed with. I've know, watched so her YouTube videos and just read about the work that she's done on fear. And we are in for a treat because we're going to learn quite a bit today. And our goal is that you walk away thinking about fear with a with a new lens, with a new perspective. So um, without further ado, Gina Marie, let's introduce our guest today. Yes. Yes. Kristen Ulmer is a thought leader on fear and anxiety and the author of The Art of Fear, Why Conquering Fear Won't Work and What to Do Instead. She's a former pro extreme skier. She has jumped off of up to 70 foot cliffs and amongst her many accolades was voted best overall female skier in the world. Kristen has spent over 15 years studying Zen and is known for radically changing existing norms about what to do about fear. Her remarkable work has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, USA Today, Tim Ferriss's Tribe of Mentors, The Megan Kelly Show, and many more. Woo! Wow, we are so honored to have you here. Welcome, Kristen. Wow, after that intro, my head is so big, it fills up the room. <laughs> <laughs> well, Des and I might have a little girl crush. We're like, oh my gosh, we're so excited. I love girl crushes. <laughs> I have a crush on yeah. you guys too. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I, I, my, you know, my adrenaline is pumping because I'm still, I'm still thinking about the videos, the many videos. So I know the first thing everyone is going to do is YouTube your, your videos because they're incredible. The, you know, everything that you have done that we, we get to see as observers on TV, watching, watching sports. You know, I, I know a lot of people love the Olympics and ex watching extreme sports and very much admire, you know, what it takes to be in that space. So, uh, yeah, I get, I get a little adrenaline rush just thinking about, um, the space that you're, you're in and what we're going to learn today. If you do YouTube me, no, my ski career happened before the internet <laughs> and on skinny skis. So somehow a bunch of my footage wound up online. Um, and know that I see my ski career as merely at this point having provided me a huge education on what to do about fear and what not to do about fear. And that's kind of all I see it. I, I really feel like the, the centerpiece of my life hasn't been my ski career, but actually the unique work that I'm doing around fear. Yeah. That's amazing. So tell us, tell us more about your story. Like what was your relationship with fear growing up? 
I didn't know at the time what my relationship was with fear. I may have had a little bit more insight than most um, just because I'm a super introspective person. But when I was six years old, I just decided that I was going to be fearless. I had my parents were nuts, right? Um, I was a free range child. They were too busy with other things like I raised myself. And so I remember distinctly making a decision at age six that I was not going to uh, be afraid and that I was going to just take care of myself. Um, In kindergarten, you decided, (laughs) I'm just going to do this. And during my ski career, I did some things right by fear and I did some things wrong by fear. And I'm sure we'll talk about the things that I did wrong by fear and we'll talk about the things I did right. I came across as fearless. I felt fearless. Um, people, the media seemed even more intrigued by, by my ability to be fearless. Cause I mean, I was risking my life sometimes on a daily basis, taking a tremendous amount of risk. Um, they were more interested in my ability to block out fear or not have any fear than they were even about my skiing itself. But the thing is you can get away with ignoring fear for about 10 years tops. And then your life just starts to come unraveled. And that's what started happening to me. Yeah. So I know that, you know, like you said, your, your career is, it's, it's more of like a foundation really that, that gave you, you know, the education and the experience to bring you to where you are today. I'm, I'm curious. So, so you say you're like six years old, you just made this decision. I'm going to be fearless. And then how, how did your journey get to extreme sports from there? Mm -hmm. Like, how does that happen? First of all, Somebody happened to hand me a pair of skis when I was younger. I happened to live in a town that had a small ski resort. I happened to have um, some friends who were really into skiing, and they kind of brought me along on their trips. I had the right body type. I had the right amount of insecurities and demons that made me ferocious and drove me, like the right amount of anger, you know, that showed up as passion for me. The right fears, like I had fear of being invisible, fear of not being special that drove me to jump off cliffs. And I'll tell you what, if you jump off cliffs, you're no longer invisible and people see you as special. Um, It it just was the perfect storm and just the perfect relationship with fear, uh, certainly on the one level that I'll explain soon um, that Mm -hmm. created uh, me and, and, and luck and opportunity and also the right amount of uh, the right personality to be able to, in a sport that's not just based on race results, talk about what I was doing in an intriguing way that made for good TV, that uh, kept me in the media, that kept my sponsors happy, that kept them giving me money, that kept giving me more more and more opportunities to challenge myself in uh, bigger and bigger mountains. Yeah. Well, because you were you you were in motion pictures too, right? Two dozen. I made about two dozen ski movies. That's awesome. Well, and, you know, in learning about you, this isn't the only thing you've ever tried. So you've done rock and ice climbing, paragliding, kiteboarding, flying trapeze, elaborate bike tours, some things that I'm, I'm, I was thinking, what is that? have you always been invigorated by trying new things or going back to your earlier comment, which I found intriguing was you felt invisible. And then when you were seen, did that have anything to do to influence your, your courage to try different things? 
I just, and this is what happens with extreme athletes. Um, we don't have a death wish. We um, are, you know, we're not fearless. We just really enjoy feeling fear because it makes us feel alive. Now, do these athletes know that that's what happening is happening? No, they don't. All they know is that these sports make them feel alive. So I've been able to dissect actually what's going on for people like me. Um, I've interviewed Alex Hunold, the guy that free soloed El Cap, Laird Hamilton. Um, one by one, I've interviewed 26 very, very famous extreme sports athletes, and I've tried out my theories on them, and they all, the second they hear them, they're like, oh, my God, they, like they nod their heads so hard that I think they're going to break their necks. So what, what actually is going on with us is we enjoy feeling fear because it makes us feel so alive. And when you enjoy feeling fear, it doesn't feel like fear, actually. It just feels like excitement, focus, presence. The fear actually takes you into an altered state of um, the zone, you know, flow states, those things that we love so much. And, you know, we just have the right relationship with fear. And the relationship is, and this is what I did right by fear during my ski career, is I knew how to have an intimate relationship with my fear. And thus, the fear actually became um, my drug of choice, I guess. The, the thing that I loved feeling the most because it took me into those higher states, higher states. Now, I like to think that I was addicted to the skiing, but really I was addicted to those places that the fear took me while I was skiing. Yeah. Well, because I, so I watched your induction into the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Hall of Fame, and you said that uh, fear and excitement neurologically are the same thing. And so you, you've been dating that, I get, you know, for all, for all these years. And, and, and I love that you say relationship because that is a deeper level of exploration than I would say the average person thinks it's just, they sort of look at fear as fear, but you're, you've diagnosed it to a place where it's understanding it and actually being able to help other people expand their perspective on it, which is really cool. Yes. And this is a great transition into the audience. And just imagine that fear is a person in your life. You could call it a, a roommate that you're going to live with your entire life, a child in your life that lives in your body, um, a spouse, an employee, whatever your favorite analogy. See it as a person, though. What is your relationship with this person? Uh, do you ignore it? Do you fight it? Do you try to rationalize it away? Like, do you try to breathe in calm and breathe out fear? All of these things are forms of resistance to feeling it, or maybe you're fighting a war with it, and then that puts you at war with yourself. So however you treat fear is actually how you treat yourself. If you ignore it, you ignore kind of what's going on in your undercurrent. You ignore the truth about what our life is about. We're not all about love. We're also all about fear. You know, so the exploration of what your relationship is with fear is so important. I actually consider it the most important personal work you can ever do to get to know this relationship that you have with the fear because it explains so much. That's absolutely amazing. So I have, I have a question for you. You, um, do you have any children? I don't. Okay. Because I have kids, um, a couple of them, like eight, something like that. And, um, I encourage my kids 
to embrace fear. Never really thought about it. But one of the celebrations that we do is for their 18th birthday, they do something adventurous. And so jump out of a plane. They've been scuba diving, flying trapeze, flew to another country to help with earthquake relief. So I, for the listener out there, what advice would you give to them about maybe encouraging a lot of our, a lot of our listeners have children. Like what are some things that you can do that would encourage that kind of relationship with fear? Okay. Um, let's start with talking about parents who don't have this supportive relationship with fear like you have, mm. because that's more common. I had some clients, this married couple, they had, uh, twins and they were nine years old and they hired me because both of them, one had an anxiety disorder and the other was having panic attacks. So they were a super positive family. You know, mom said every single night, make it a great day or every morning, sorry, every, make it a great day. And in that lies the problem that they, their kids were having. Because if you say to a kid, let's say when they're four, four years old, the first time they say, I'm afraid. If you say there's nothing to be afraid of, it's very well intended, you know, you want to make them feel better, but it sends a message to that child that fear isn't even real. It doesn't exist. And if you feel it, there's something wrong with you. I call it fear shaming. And that kid will grow up to have emotional health issues. If you do that, you don't want to fear shame your kid. You want to kind of support their emotions. Like when they feel fear, just ask them clarifying questions like, what are you afraid of? And resist the urge to then try to get them to move past it faster so that you can feel more comfortable. If they're sad, don't try to turn that frown upside down because that sends them a message that when you're sad, you know, you should be embarrassed by that. Mommy and daddy don't approve. If you're angry, you know, we don't do that. You know, that kid will stifle his anger and then be fiercely enraged the rest of his life. So you do not want to emotion shame your children because like back to fear, of course, there's something to be afraid of. Life is a very scary experience. And that kid will, from that moment on, push fear down in order to get mommy and daddy's approval. And then every time they feel fear, which is pretty much every single day of every single moment of our lives, that's how fear is. They will always feel like there's something wrong with them. And it leads to self-esteem issues, emotional repression, it leads to anxiety disorders because that undealt with fear now starts to scream and yell in order to get that child's attention. The child will also act out and defend his right to feel his emotions. And um, that child will become super angry, super sad, super afraid. Like it is the worst thing you can do for a child to emotion shame them. Any form of um even if it's like you start off well, like, yes, fear is normal and natural. You should be feeling this comma, but now let's get rid of it or let, let it go. You don't want to get it the better of you. That starts off good, but it ends with more fear shaming. Right. So it, it needs to, the message only needs to be supportive of one's emotions. So, so that's there's, the first yeah, there's, there's a suppression sometimes that people might think you're doing in service of getting rid of it, like you said, but much like you know, maybe if we went the opposite direction, when you have a child or you experience something feeling happy, that often is more embraced because of the connotation that is associated around happiness versus if it is sadness or fear, there is the 
it's fleeting. Let's let's hurry up and take that away where you should embrace it much like other things that feel more comfortable. Right. I have to tell you, Kristen, just the short amount of time that I've been following you when I got to know you, the first time I heard you on, on another podcast, I just got so excited. And I thought this all just makes so much sense. And I was so thankful that some of the stuff that I've done naturally has been to embrace fear. I actually went on and did your assessment. So if you guys want to know how you embrace fear or not, she has an assessment um, on her, on her website and we will give you um, all that information in the show notes. Mm -hmm. This has been like literally life changing for me. And I have a very impressionable nine-year-old and we had a conversation and she hears me talk. And um, I heard her say, and it was just like music to my ears. She said, fear actually not bad mom I was like oh this is awesome you're gonna be an amazing person (laughs) so you're part of the solution not part of the problem and now cut to those children that were fear shamed when they were young you know now we're all adults Mm -hmm. and the fear shaming continues like any there's so many teachers and psychologists and self-help gurus and all this out there saying oh you don't want to let fear get the better of you it's just false evidence appearing real like it's madness. And mm-hmm. what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same Doing thing. The same thing and getting the same results. results. Right. Exactly. Like it's not working. It's you not know, working. anxiety disorders are only getting worse. Depression, panic attacks are getting worse and worse. All these methods and modalities that we're doing to not deal, we, we can see it as a way to deal with our fear, but mm-hmm. actually we're learning ways to not deal with our fear they're making these anxiety disorders and panic and all that so much worse. And to the point where if you have any kind of issue in your life, it could be emotional, it could be mental, psychological, physical, spiritual, Mm -hmm. physical, like you don't want to stop up the flow of emotions through your body. They become stuck in your body and that's just not healthy for your body. You know, no matter what issue you have, your resistance or repression or avoidance or whatever your style of fear of, of not honoring fear either has something or it has everything to do with it. Self-esteem issues, insomnia, like that undealt with fear will hijack your mind in the middle of the night and run its agenda in your thoughts when you're trying to sleep. Like it doesn't matter what it is. Like that's why I say having a healthy flowing relationship with fear could not be more important. Absolutely. You know, um, I'm a widow. And when I lost my husband, that was the scariest thing I'd ever been through. And I know that it was my relationship with fear, because when the scariest thing that you're afraid of actually happens to you, and you just like embrace it. I mean, I embraced and encouraged not only fear with my kids, but sadness. Like it's, that's okay. It's okay to feel that and be in that. And You know, I never said to the kids, don't be sad. He's in heaven, which is the truth. He's in, you know, I mean, we were very comfortable with that with, but, um, I do believe that, that having that embracing of the emotions is just does a body good. Yeah, it does. And now back to the question Mm -hmm. about encouraging your kids to do scary things and even taking it out of kids like you doing scary things, Mm -hmm. you know, just the the audience, the the adults who are listening now, Yes, see it this way. Not only is the resistance to fear going to cause a whole lot of issues in your life, 
you know, fear comes from the amygdala, two almond-shaped nuggets at the top of the spine, and it's the manufacturing plant for fear. And if there's a perceived threat, it'll send a shot of discomfort of fear. And proven by science, actually, it shows up in your body first, and it's supposed to run into, through, and out of your body in 10 to 90 seconds, or it'll stick around as long as the perceived threat is there. But the thing is, to the amygdala, because all information comes through this filter first, everything's a perceived threat. And as a result, it's with us every moment of every single day in nearly every single interaction we have. And we don't want to believe that, you know, but the truth is, is that life is both a wonderful and a very uncomfortable feeling. And if you don't know how to make friends with your own discomfort, then you don't know how to make friends with the nature of life itself. You'll be at war with yourself and you'll be at war with the nature of life itself. Mm -hmm. And so all this positivity and gratitude and forgiveness and all that practice um, very noble, but it actually has rendered us incapable and unwilling to deal with the negative side of life. And so when something like the coronavirus shows up or the death of your spouse, or like we, we often don't know how to deal with that difficult, those difficult emotions. And then the other people don't know how to deal with it. And we, they try to rush us through it. Like, oh, well, you can't let, you can't fester in your sadness. Or I had somebody that did something really horrible to me and two weeks later, I saw somebody and they, they said, how are you feeling? I said, well, I'm really angry. And he said, oh, well, you can't let anger stick with you and it'll eat you from the inside out. And I said, don't try to rush me through my anger, you know, so that you can feel more comfortable. Like it's here for a reason. Let me feel it. Yeah. And, and, and anyway, this person was a life coach. It was very interesting. So all this is a way of getting to the point where can we learn how to be in flow with our emotions can we, not just for our children to support them, have a healthy flow with their emotions, can we as adults who were given this bogus message when we were younger, learn today as adults how to have a healthy flowing relationship with our fear and other emotions? And then life gets really interesting, right? Wow. <laughs> you have a voice and a message, but it can be hard to raise your voice above the noise. So how do you reach your audience and inspire them to take action? How do you increase your influence, grow your network, and drive engagement? Podcasting is a powerful way to build a connection with your audience and turn that crowd into a community. But where do you start? Rockwood Audio works with entrepreneurs and businesses to design and craft high-quality, smart content that fits your brand like a glove. Rockwood's podcast launch package includes one-to-one -one coaching and development, strategic and technical support, audio and visual branding, broadcast quality editing and production, and even distribution and setup. They'll get you from idea to iTunes in half the time with a great sounding show that your audience will love. They even wrote the theme music for this show. And Rockwood's subscription editing, production and publishing services takes away the hassle so you can focus on what's important. For a free consultation, go to rockwoodaudio.com. That's R-O-K-K-Wood.com. Rockwood Audio. Brand out loud. The world is listening. I would imagine... Kristen, that right now um, there is an abundance of uncertainty <laughs> that many people are feeling and uncertainty is, um, is scary. 
what's going to happen? Um, when is it going to happen? How is it going to happen? What if this happens? And it almost creates a, a reel of all of the what ifs and you can get into a downward spiral. So almost like the example that you're providing with the clients that you work with, um, when someone comes to you and they, you know, take your fear assessment and they just don't even know where to start, what's that process like for you to meet them where they are and (laughs) figure out how to get them through their relationship with fear? Number one priority, absolutely unequivocally, is get to know your unique relationship with fear. There are 7.5 billion different people on the planet, 7.5 billion different unique relationships with fear. Um, Some of the most common ones, though, that I see is, uh, especially if somebody's looping fear and and in their heads about what's going to happen in the future and the uncertainty, is we've gotten in the mysterious habit. It's actually not mysterious. It's because of what we've been taught of dealing with our fear intellectually. And so that shot of discomfort from the amygdala. And the amygdala isn't a, a thought processing uh, operation. Like it's it's just an intuitive operation. It doesn't have thoughts. So it shows up in your body. And then like Bambi, for example, would just then feel it and fight or flee a situation. But uh, with humans were a lot more complicated than animals. What we do is we immediately get into our heads and we've been taught to do this because if we think that we can understand fear, then we can control it. So we go and talk about it with a shrink. We try to understand where it comes from. It's like trying to find the source of the Nile as a way to plug it up so that the Nile will stop, you know? And so anyway, we get into our heads about fear and we start to think and talk about it. And this is a way to not have to feel it. So as a compensation mechanism, next thing you know, people are in their heads all the time so they don't have to feel the fear in their bodies. And so then the fear will then travel to where you're living, which is in your head. Um, Another way that I see people dealing with fear is they try to conquer or overcome it or try to breathe it away. Um, But fear is not like CO2. You actually can't breathe it away. Those exercises make you feel better because, you know, temporarily fear seems to go away. You saturate your body with oxygen. You have a moment of presence. But if you notice, it just comes right back. And if you keep doing this, you know, next thing you know, you're doing three breathing exercises a day, then four, then five. It's like back to fear being a person. If you continue to ignore your fear and try to get let go of it, it's just going to start screaming at you until you finally just give up and take medication. Oh boy. I used to tap on my chest to really, and it did it like it, it, it was a distraction and it completely freaked out my kids, especially after Jeff had a heart attack, you know, they were like, what is wrong with you, mom? You know, I think I know that, that it's so healthy for them to see me embracing those things because they look to me as like, is everything going to be okay? They're looking up at their leader. And when you're like, yeah, this is, you know, this is natural and normal. Got this. I'm embracing it. I'm a big fan of tapping. And back to getting to know your relationship with fear. Are you tapping as a way to try to get rid of your fear? I was, I was. That's just another form of resistance. Mm. Instead, can you use tapping to access your fear and bring it to the surface? Like, okay, I know you're in there somewhere. Like, let's have a conversation. 
And so the first step is to notice your relationship with fear. Notice your reaction to it. Uh, is my reaction to try and get rid of it or limit it in any way? Know that that's not going to work. Fear doesn't like that kind of thing. It's just going to make it persist. Whatever you resist persists. It it rhymes, so it must be true, right? <laughs> but it's right. true. It is true. <laughs> Whatever you resist does persist. Like you do not want to like see fear as that child in your life. You know, if every time your child comes in and says, mommy, mommy, I'm afraid. And you're just like, oh, tapping, tapping, tapping. Okay, I'm just going to take three deep breaths and I'm going to block you out. La, 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 la. Like, you're going to upset the child. The child may go away, but next thing you know, that child's going to come back and be a little bit more upset next time. And then over time, after about 10 years, that child now has serious developmental issues. It's acting childish and crazy and irrational. And so it's going to start acting up in some crazy ways after 10 years. So back to the tapping though, if you can use the tapping to bring fear that's deeply buried to the surface so that you can then, and this is my second tip besides getting to know your relationship with fear. Second tip is to learn how to feel it in an honest way. Like emotions want to be felt. They don't want to be thought about, talked about, gotten rid of, like they want to be felt. That's how you deal with them emotionally. Spend some quality time with your eyes closed, just tapping and then just feeling the feeling that comes to the surface. Kind of like you might give your child a hug when they're upset. That's amazing. I am so excited about getting your, your audio book is coming out. It is in June. Oh, we're yeah. so excited. So you can um, buy the book now. You can buy her book that Gina Marie mentioned at the beginning now. And if you buy the audio book, then it comes, you can listen to it in June, on June 16th. Is that the date? Yes. Yes. And it just came out in Russian and it just came out in French. That's amazing. I think those are the two newest languages. <laughs> this is, wow. this literally is life changing. I'm, I'm so excited about the movement that, that you are starting with this. I think that there's going to be so many people that are going to be off of medication and, you know, living happy, fulfilled lives. I'm dating a guy who's got a motorcycle, so I'm embracing that. <laughs> Everybody thinks I'm crazy. <laughs> you know, let me tell you, I'm embracing fear when I'm on the back of that bike with him. Yeah, I, I, I want to talk to you about that, too. And I want to go back to what you're teaching your kids. But let me just say this first. This is the future regarding fear because it has to be because what we're doing is not working. All this cognitive behavioral therapy and meditation apps like anxiety disorders are only getting more and more prevalent. Depression is rising. Insomnia is rising. You know, if we keep it up, pretty much soon we're all going to be medicated. You know, we, we, we used to not have as much fear. Life was more simple. But now there's so many people. There's so much going on. Like the amygdala is manufacturing fear faster than Joey Chestnut eats a hot dog. Like, Fear, fear everywhere. And <laughs> we can no longer get away with repressing or resisting it. We need to learn how to make friends with it. Because the war against fear, you may win a few battles, but ultimately this war has proven unwinnable. So let's declare a truce and make friends with it instead. And not only do these emotional and mental and, and spiritual and physical health issues resolve, I mean, like physical health issues, a lot of us know that you don't want to kink the hose, like, and stop the flow of your fear, then all of a sudden, you know, you're just going to have lower back pain and 
that old injury that your broken leg is just never going to feel the same again. Like you, you want to be in flow with your fear to have a healthy body. I heard you on an interview, um, liken it to a rigid, um, stick versus one, you know, eventually when, when pressure's pushed, pushed against it, enough pressure pushed against it, it's going to snap. But when you bend with it, then you're pliable and it flows and it doesn't hurt you. I thought that was amazing. Yes. That analogy was actually in reference to my own ski career. So I mentioned that you can get away with resistance to fear for about 10 years. I ignored my fear. That was my unique form of resistance. And after 10 years, I mean, in order to deal with a tremendous amount of fear, more than most um, because of the nature of my career, I became a really rigid, stoic, arrogant, masculine person. That was my compensation. I actually didn't like who I was. And um, after 10 years, I just started to break because extreme skiing is a very violent sport, a lot of cliff jumping. And if you're rigid, you know, you break. If you're slinky, like you don't. So that's actually why I was starting to have injury after injury. Well, and Kristen, you, it just made me think when you're, you're talking about those experiences of, of getting injured and ultimately that decision that you made in 2003 to say, you know, this, I'm, I'm going to move on to the next thing. And then you did the, the ski camps and started to become a fear expert and study Zen. Was there a turning point of how you you shifted? Was it just the kind of continuous injuries or what was it that kind of made you go in another direction with, with things? There have been three distinct turning points in my life to becoming a fear expert. First of all, I needed to dislodge from my ski career. And what happened is I had two um, near-death experiences two days in a row. And I was in my mid thirties and, you know, I didn't have to quit being a professional skier. I had transcended the ski industry. All I had to do was show up at the parties and drink a can of Red Bull and I'd continue to get paid probably for life. You know, I was hosting a television show. I was writing articles, you know, all of that. But what happened is I felt like the universe through these near death experiences and I had dozens of them, but the the last two were probably the worst and they happened consecutively day after day. Um, I felt it was the universe saying, stop this nonsense, you stupid, stupid girl. It's time for you to do what you're really supposed to do with your life, which you don't even know what it is next. And as a result, I just abruptly quit my ski career on a dime. I walked away from everything. You know, I was making a lot of money. I was famous. I, um, I had my own television show. I had four different monthly columns and four different ski magazines around the world. And I just realized I need to stop. And, you know, I also always felt like it never really made any sense what I was doing. This felt a little juvenile and immature and kind of silly, um, which people are going to hate me for saying that in the ski industry. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I, know, I said it. Uh, and then the second turning point came about a year later when I met my teacher. I studied, was started studying Zen and he helped me through a process that I use with my clients, see very quickly what my relationship was with fear And I had such a profound aha moment. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not fearless. I've just been ignoring my fear. And it's the cause of all of my problems. Like that, 
I had that realization in about 10 minutes. It was memorable. I'll never forget it. Everything changed for me then. Do you, do you ever backslide on that? Do you ever go back to like, oh yeah, I forgot. I got to embrace this. No, I'm so, it's so ingrained in me now because I work with clients daily. I lecture about this. This is my world, my life. I wrote a book about it. I'm about to write another one in a few years. And anyway, no, this is, I'm a living, walking shrine and testimony on what not to do about fear and what to do do about fear if you want to live your best life. So no, I'm. So so it can be done and it can be sustained. That's amazing. I am so excited for this. And then the third realization I had, and this is a huge one that I want to share with you and your audience is that that awful feeling we associate with fear, that's not fear. That's our resistance to fear. That's our, I don't want to feel this, that feels so bad, not the fear itself. Because when you actually have an intimate relationship with fear, it actually feels really wonderful. You feel intuitive and alive and in your body and focused and sharp and present. And you bring your A game to everything that you do. Um, like fear is actually one of the most amazing experiences we get to have here on planet earth. And if you can learn how to stop resisting it, um, first of all, the emotional issues will go away and start, learn to start how, how to embrace it and become intimate with it. All of a sudden you, and, and back to what we were saying before about, you know, taking your kids skydiving and all that, you don't need to take them skydiving, but just encourage them to, to feel fear. And this is, this is our comfort zone, right? We're in here and in our comfort zone, we still feel fear, but it's less. And this is how Alex Honold, by the way, free soloed LCAP. Um, if you're willing to feel fear, you're willing to take a risk and you're willing to step out of your comfort zone and you take risks and they don't have to be skydiving. It could just be like cold calling somebody or having that difficult conversation with your husband or getting to know your relationship with fear. Sometimes for me, just going to the gym, like that class, before that class, I get scared. <laughs> yes. And you, that's not a sign of personal weakness. You are supposed to be feeling fear when you take risks, when you step out of your comfort zone. I feel fear right now, you know? Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I, I always, it's there, you know, if you're willing to be honest with yourself. So, but you're willing to step out of your comfort zone, do the interview, give the speech, ask the guy out, right? You connect the new dots. This is your new comfort zone. So it expands. Right. And you, you don't want to go way out of your comfort zone, you know, cause then you don't know how to deal with fear, yeah. but just the, the, just a little bit, it'll take you into a flow state while you're out of your comfort zone. Fear's good like that. And so it'll help you bring your A game to the experience. And then this is how you become bigger and bigger until Alex Arnold was able to free solo El Cap. Or you're able to give a speech in front of 3,000 people. Wow. Doing something that scares you every day, right? Yes. And not necessarily. I I don't know that I subscribe to that. When you're feeling like you're ready to go to the next level of your development, Mm -hmm. then take a risk. Um, I'm not in the mood for fear all the time, you know? So it's more a matter of waking up and asking yourself, am I in the mood for fear? You know, when you take little Johnny to the water park and he's like, I don't want to go on the water slide. It shouldn't be like, oh, there's nothing to be afraid of. That's not true. They designed the water slides to be scary. You just ask Johnny, like, are you in the mood for fear right now? If so, let's go on the water slide and it'll be fun. You know, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love the awareness of it. 
of, of calling it out, naming it and, and saying it, you know, like we do with other emotions that are maybe tolerable, acceptable. It should be just like anything else. Accept the fear, call it out. And, and you can make a decision in that moment. Like you said, maybe little Johnny is like, yeah, or maybe he's like, I'll have a hot dog instead. Thanks. I mean, right. it's right. a visual that I get is from that mo- that Pixar movie with all the little people in your head and they all have like inside a out. Inside out. The <laughs> with the feelings, we right? Those all characters, the little, right? All the exactly. This is contrary to what we've been taught. And it's not, and you just said the word acceptance. It's not necessarily about accepting fear. That's a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Actually, I've broken it down to four different levels on how to deal with fear. And I'm going to rank them from the worst way to deal with fear to the best way. I'm going to write this down. So the worst way to deal with fear is to resist it fight it, conquer it, overcome it, let it go, you know, be, try to understand it as a way to control it. All those things that we do that are taught, those are different forms of resistance. So do not recommend that. Second level, acceptance of fear. Step in the right direction. Like accept that this is a normal, natural part of life, but it still kind of reeks of, eh, it is what it is. I don't really like it, but there's nothing I can do about it, Right. Um, that's not very respectful to fear, like that child that you have, like, oh, it is what it is. Like, you know, little Johnny's a little annoying, right? Like, but like you're saying that in front of fear, it's disrespectful. Third level is embracing fear. And next thing you know, embracing, you're in your body. You're having a physical experience with it. You're not thinking about embracing it. You are embracing it. And like embracing a child, you know, you've kind of transcended thoughts. You're just in that moment with that experience. And then the fourth level is becoming intimate with fear. And that's the fourth level where real magic happens. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. You've given us so much today. So much. Thank you so much for for coming out and taking the time uh, to share your wisdom, your message. We are definitely going to be encouraging everybody to get your book. I think it's going to be, I'm going to have to get a case and give them to all my friends to get them off of all their meds. We, we also euthanize our aliveness. It's like a modern lobotomy, these medications. It, it numbs us 20 to 40%. And, and you don't have to deal with your fear anymore, but, you know, there, there are better no ways, you know, which is make friends with it instead of medicate it away. What's a, uh, Kristen, what's a call to action here? So if people are wanting to work with you or explore and just, you know, really dig into sometimes this space of like we've all, we've discussed through this, this interview is avoidance or resistance. How, how would they do that? How would people connect with you and reach out to you and learn about their, their fear? Well, you may think, okay, I kind of have a sense of what my relationship is with fear. Um, there may be more going on than you realize that is that you're aware of on the surface. There's a lot more going on underneath the surface that you may not be aware of. So I recommend going to my website, kristenolmer.com and taking my free fear and anxiety assessment. Mm-hmm. It's a series of 20 fascinating questions that takes about three minutes to ask yourself that alone, those questions provide some insights for you. And then you find out which of three types you are. And then I give super practical next steps to take based on your results. Awesome. That's awesome. So it's free. They can go on on there to Mm kristenulmer.com. 
And we'll make sure that Kristen's website is in the show notes. So that way you can, can go check it out. Cause you definitely want to, we all need to do this. We have to face this and become able to go through these four, these four stages that you talked about to, to get to that intimacy. So absolutely encourage people to go out to Kristen's website and take that test. So wonderful. Well, now we get to do some fun. Are you ready? Okay. It's one of our core values. So we, we got to throw some fun in here. So um, we have a question that we like to ask our guests that we interview. If a movie was being made of your life and you could choose the actress to play you, who would you choose and why? Oh my God, you're making me laugh because somebody did just make a movie of my life. <laughs> it's called Voices of Fear. Oh my gosh. But I was... I played myself. Um, anyway, uh, that's amazing. Who would, who would I want to play me? Oh my gosh. <laughs> who, who, who was the woman who, um, played the hunger games? Oh, Oh, Jennifer Lawrence. Totally. Yes. Totally. Yes. Yes. Oh, I can see that. And, and why? Um, because we kind of look alike and I dig her and I think she has the same sass yes. as me. 100%. Um, she, and um, yeah, I, I, yeah. Nailed it. She's, you guys she's can't a see Kristen. She's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh you my will, gosh. That's... Because we're just going to post all, <laughs> we're going to yeah. continue well, to loop this, this interview and, and her picture and website and all her and her book and everything. So you will see her. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then Des has a question for you. Okay, so this is this is a fun one. So we call we're calling this the blissful bonus question, Kristen. And there's actually five different ones. So I'm going to let you choose a number between one and five, and then that will determine which of these questions I ask you. So, so what number? Spin that wheel. Spin Here the wheel. we go. Five. Five? five. Okay, let's see. Question number five. What is your most favorite article of clothing that you like to wear and why? <laughs> I go to Burning Man every year and I have this rubber outfit that is ridiculous and it's chaps, like rubber chaps. Now, I'm 53 years old, um, so <laughs> it's... No small thing for me to wear this. And it, Mama, it, can I know, see a picture of this now? Sure, I'm under like, boob. Rubber. You know? Um, do I have a picture of it? Yep. And every time thing. I wear it, I just feel so swarthy. Um, and I wear it once a year. It makes me sweat like crazy. It's totally worth Where it. Where the heck did it you get this outfit? Like I'm 18. Where'd you find that? What the heck? Uh, this girl made it, and then she she had a fire sale and sold all her handmade costumes. She made it out of bicycle tubes, like rubber tubing. It was super creative, and it's like a halter top and under boob and, you know, assless chaps. You know, it's made out of rubber. It's just it's Fantastic. awesome. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So they say that, that when you ask this question, ever. it's supposed <laughs> to mean what you think other people uh, view you as, like your favorite article of clothing. clothing. So 
Yeah. So <laughs> swore they. What was what were some of the adjectives? Sexy. I, I didn't say it, but it's very sexy. It's <laughs> badass. Unexpected. There you go. There you go. For a 53-year-old woman. <laughs> Boom. For anybody. And I, I created it too. I, I yeah, it's the whole reason why I work out 364 days a year God. is just so I can still wear that thing at Burning Man. <laughs> that's amazing. Hey, that's that's awesome. I love every part about that. <laughs> that's that's <Great>. awesome. <laughs> Great question. Well, thank you so much for being here today. We're so excited to be able to get this this uh, this information out. It's gonna be it's gonna be amazing. Yep. So we'll make sure that people have this information. They can connect with you through your website if they wanna to learn more. Um, thank you to our our listeners who you know continue to come and support us. We certainly appreciate it. If you haven't subscribed already, make sure to subscribe to our podcast, Bliss Beyond Fear, on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. We appreciate the the feedback. If you have comments or questions or follow-up things that we, you know, we'd want to share with uh, Kristen, you could go ahead and submit those. We have an email, blissfulfortitude at gmail.com. You can go to our website, blissfulfortitude.com, and you can call us at one eight three three my bliss or one eight three three six nine two five four seven seven. That's right. And share this podcast. Share, 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 share. I know that when you're listening to this, you're thinking of somebody that needs to hear this. Take a second and and do that right now. Until next time, may your faith be greater than your fears. And whoa, remember, whoa, whoa, we're going to have whoa. to change our, our new outro now. We're going to have to say, have, may, hold on. may you have faith in fear. Ooh, it's here till next time. May you have faith yes. in fear. And remember, you are your only limit. So take action today. Thanks for listening. To the Bliss Beyond, Beyond Fear, Fear Podcast. Podcast.